welcome back to Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this special summer series, a bit of a break that we're having over Christmas and New Year's here at Poe. So what we decided to do was actually bring back a couple of episodes that we love the most, but we also got the most feedback on. The first one of that is Leon Kennedy from Proud Mary. This is a fantastic conversation. Strap yourself in. It's nearly an hour and a half, but it is absolutely sensational. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's get into the show. another principle of hospitality podcast thanks so much for tuning in proud mary coffee is a specialty coffee roaster cafe cafe educator and retailer based in melbourne australia and portland oregon in the us of a they pride themselves on exceptional coffee and direct involvement with the farmers and families that produce their coffee and as they say the farmers are the true rock stars of coffee the story starts with the producer Leon Kennedy is the GM here in Australia and is an honour to be sitting here in Proud Mary's HQ in Collingwood, Melbourne, so we can share his story. Hey, Leon, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. It's um, it's fantastic to have you here, mate, and um, fantastic to to meet you for the first time and, and see this amazing HQ here in Collingwood. Um, let's talk about how you started out in the industry yourself, Leon, because, I mean, this is a great establishment. I want to get into it soon, but let's mm. talk about how you actually started out yourself. Sure. Um, I mean, the short answer of, I guess, how I got into hospitality. Mm. Yeah, I think basically just by being a complete knucklehead in high school <laughs> and uh, not going to class. I mean, I, I basically failed year 12 on attendance and yep. somehow managed to, you know, scrape in. Um, but yeah, it was pretty clear I was that was not going to be a, a pathway for me. And mm-hmm. I think, I reckon it was probably a couple months after high school sort of finished mm-hmm. um my dad was the one who suggested hey why don't you consider a, a career in hospitality my dad was a chef right and i think he you know the one thing he probably didn't want me to do was become a chef <laughs> <laughs> and so even though i think i would have been an awesome one yes yeah, probably top three in the world no problem but yeah no nah, never wasn't to be so he suggested that i um get a job in this place across the street. He had a connection there. Okay. It was a, a restaurant, hotel, bar, function centre mm-hmm. out in the suburbs, like, you know, as probably what you would be picturing in your head right yes, now. Yes, exactly. All of those things. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of fun, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so funnily enough, I, I sort of rolled up, you know, to my trial shift and they mm-hmm. basically just said, all right, you know, you're going to be sitting here in the kitchen running food. And I was yeah, like, right. Okay. And they said, that that's the pass. There's a table map. The chefs will tell you where to take the food, take mm-hmm. it to the table. Mm-hmm. If there's no food, polish that cutlery. And there was, you know, about 17 trays of cutlery there to polish. So <laughs> I just did what they said. <laughs> How did you enjoy that first um, cutlery polish? Well, it's, you know what? I, it was I, it was quite zen, you know, <laughs> and so I, I kind of enjoyed it. And funnily enough, the time just flew. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. of a sudden my shift Funny was thing. over mm-hmm. and the, the boss kind of says, hey, cool, shift's over, we're done, come uh, mop the floor mm-hmm. and then come have a beer in the bar. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, is this a trick question? <laughs> and so I'm up the floor, I went and had a beer and everyone was there and we yeah. drank and smoked and hung out. And I was like, shit, am I going to get paid for this? Like, <laughs> and that's how it all began. So I, so I started there and just enjoyed the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I was partying pretty hard and got, you know, became pretty good friends with all the chefs. And mm-hmm. 
shortly after that, they offered me the opportunity to do like a traineeship. Yep. So I did like my food and beverage certificates. As soon as that was done, I bounced to London. Wow. Yeah, and just started working. I figured, you know, if I'm going to start getting experience in hospitality, I want to go work for some of the best people I can find. Right. Uh, although, having said that, as soon as I got there, I just worked in a pub for six months. <laughs> what led to that, though? Like, can you remember the day that you actually made decision to go to London? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, it was it was after a big weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not painting myself in a very responsible light <laughs> here, so I better straighten up. But no, I was, it was, yeah, I remember just sitting there and thinking, you know, work had become a bit of a, you know, just go through the motions kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was enjoying it. And I'd climbed the ladder there, you know, and I was running functions and doing all sorts of stuff for these guys and loving the job. But I just was really into the craft. Yeah, right. You know, I was just really into the craft of hospitality and I can remember the moments where, you know, we would run a function, you know, and we'd, you know, some nights you'd just turn up and do it. Mm. Other nights you'd kind of, you know, this is, a, mind you, like a 17, 18-year-old kid, right? Some nights you'd go in there with a bit of focus and you'd say, hey, you know, let's actually make this function awesome. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. you know what, how do we do that? Well, man, you know what, you should, you should stand near the door. Mm-hmm. Every person that comes in, just watch them and make sure they've got a drink within yep. like the first minute yep. and let's just try and get the party started. And, nice. you know, we'd, we'd see that when you do that, you know, that everyone would have a great time, mm-hmm. you know, and at the end of it, they'd be really grateful and they'd thank you and you'd sort of feel great about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we did that. So mm-hmm. I think that was where I started to get the bug and mm-hmm. realised that, you know, there's only so much I'm going to learn working at a function centre in the suburbs and, you know, there's probably more to do. So that was my plan. I said, look, I'm going to go to London and, Got the visa. Mm-hmm. I was one of the few Aussies at the time. So this would have been back in 2001, yep. I reckon. And yep. yeah, few, one of the few Aussies at the time who went to London and didn't travel any further. <laughs> <laughs> just stayed in the same place. Just stayed in London, point. yeah. And just <laughs> I, I spent that first six months in the pub just, you know, enjoying it. Yeah. Loving it. And, um, you know, because it's such raw service yeah, you know, in a pub. Absolutely. You, know, uh, you can't beat that. And so I, lo- I really enjoyed it. And then I said, all right, you know, what, I've got to get back to what I came here for. Mm-hmm. Um, I somehow managed to blag my way into a job with Christine Manfield <laughs> <laughs> working in fine dining. I don't know how that happened. Was yeah. that through a connection of a connection or? No, no, I literally, well, actually, so funnily enough, I'd, I'd worked uh, for a few weeks at this sort of brasserie in Notting Hill called 192. Right. Uh, and then after and one of the girls I'd worked with there I became pretty good mates with and she was like the assistant manager mm-hmm. and then I lost touch with her and then um like I came home from my sister's wedding and then went back mm-hmm. and I lost touch with her then I, I got this job interview I saw this place was advertising and I just rang up got an interview yeah turned up to the interview bombed the interview <laughs> like it was a train just wreck. from the start yeah from the start <laughs> it just wasn't going well and as I was like halfway through just dying uh, she just walked out right? and she was like, hey, guys, I'm gonna, she was said to the manager who was interviewing me, hey, I'm going to get out of here. And she was like, oh, Leon, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing for a job. And she's like, oh, cool, come and do a trial. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they gave me the trial and I kind of, I, yeah, I kind of stunk at that as well. But they <laughs> kept me in there and I think they just took pity on me. Uh, but it was actually one of the most defining experiences of my life because all the people, I mean, I... Still remember every single person from that team. You know, they all... I was, you know, one of the youngest there and I think every one of them just um, took me under their wing. Mm. And they really taught me about professionalism and taught me about passion in the job and, 
there was actually, you know, there was when I was working there, there was a quote that um, I can't remember who it was there that told me, but it was a quote that sort of changed everything for me, which was basically the, and I don't even know who said it, so you know, I, I'll just say it anyway. But <laughs> it was um, the best way to find yourself is by losing yourself in mm. the service of others. Mm-hmm. And when they said that, I was just like, man, this isn't just a job. This is a craft, you know. And yeah, that was that was that was a big deal. So I, I worked there for pretty much the rest of my visa. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then I came back to Australia, still super young, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got there when I was nineteen, so mm-hmm. I got back. I worked in a few places, and then I opened up a cafe. Yeah, and how did that happen though? Uh, so it's it happened because I was. I had no money. <laughs> okay. And I wanted some money. And I So thought, you're back in Melbourne at this point? Yeah, I'm back in Melbourne. Okay. And I basically realised that, you know, I needed to do something, you know. I mean, again, I'm, I was 22 years old and yeah. probably trying to get ahead of myself. But mm-hmm. my brother, who's quite entrepreneurial, was always saying you should do something and, mm-hmm. you know, let's make something happen. And, mm-hmm. and it was thanks to him that he really pushed me and said, Khan, let's go check out some businesses. and Yeah. We found this little cafe in the South Melbourne market and um, put an offer in and got it. And that was like, okay, wow. here we go. So, yeah, I, I basically took that over. So, yeah, I would have been, I think I would have been about 22. Yeah. And had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just, man, that, that was the place where I really, so I guess like up until that point, I'd started to really cultivate my passion for hospitality and mm. it had become a bit of an addiction Mm. and at that point i kind of you know got addicted to the second addiction which was business yes yeah and you know man i i I got really i was head over heels you know like i mean i needed that place to work you know i had this big chip on my shoulder because everyone always said you can't make money in your first year and yeah i was kind of like 100 that's bullshit i can Mm -hmm. like you guys can't because you got wives and kids and stuff i'd yeah, I you just, could work as hard as you wanted yeah, to, right? I just have to break up with my girlfriend and quit my <laughs> indoor soccer team and I'll be sweet. Then I, I did do those things. I think my girlfriend broke up with me. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, away I went. And I mean, I was, I was like obsessive, you know. So I was literally, I would start my shift. I would, so I'd walk into the shop at 4.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and I would prep the cabinet mm-hmm. and I'd get the whole shop set up by 7. Yeah. And then the, the doors would go, the roller doors would come up. Yeah. I'd have a couple of crew come and work just for service. Right. All right. So as soon as we would hit like, you know, one thirty, two o'clock and it would start to die down. It, yeah. w- it wasn't like a, a big, you know, cook to order kind of. It was just like a little coffee shop. Yes. Um, and, you know, so basically once it would get to like two o'clock, service would start to wind down, I'd send them all home. I'm like, you, I, I can't afford to have people working right now because I'm yep. trying to make it work. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd send them all home. I'd close the whole shop on my own. So we'd, we'd, we'd only close at like five. Um, and then I'd, I'd pack it all down. I'd, I'd save the till until last. Yep. Because anytime I looked at it and we had a shit day, it was just so soul destroying. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do the Z read until I'm walking out the door. Because <laughs> <laughs> the last hour might bring some more sales, right? Yeah. Well, we, we, I think that opportunity was long gone. I was just <laughs> more trying to protect my own sanity. <laughs> But yeah, I, so so that was the routine. I would I'd close the shop. So mm-hmm. by about six, I'd have the shop packed down. Mm-hmm. Then I'd start prepping for the next day. Um, yeah, right. And so I'd be basically be there till. Oh, in fact, I would be there till the security guard would come and kick me out because yeah. he's like, "Man, I'm turning the alarm on. You got to go." Mm-hmm. And so I'd I remember some nights I'd be sitting there with a cake in the oven, 
And I'm like, oh man, I just need, just give me five <laughs> more minutes. Come on, the cake's nearly ready. And and so, <laughs> so most nights I'd leave at like, you know, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And then I'd, you know, stop off at the pub on the way home, mm-hmm. have a whiskey or two and mm-hmm. get a couple hours sleep and come back. And yep. I did the first nine months of that without a day off. And I was just working around the clock because I just wanted, I was just so desperate to make it work. And thankfully I, I did, you know, that business became really, really successful. You know, mm-hmm. like it was... It was like some crappy commercial coffee company, you know, that was that I was using when I bought it. Yeah, and they were doing like twelve kilos a week. Oh wow! It was it was only a four day week because it was only whenever the oh, market, the market was open. Yeah, yeah right. but you know, when I eventually sold that business, we were doing over eighty. Shit. Yeah, so we we definitely um, we definitely turned it on, and uh, that was about the time I got into coffee as well. Mm. So prior to that, I'd had very limited coffee experience because I was a waiter. That was what I'd yeah. done my whole life. So yeah, yeah. I'd, you know, all I knew was the one click, two click thing on a, <laughs> on a, on a shitty grinder. And <laughs> when I started to make coffee, because slowly I was getting the business operative, you know, mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd started out, I was doing all the food yep. and leaving some mates on the coffee machine, yep. you know, and then I started to get the food program sorted, mm-hmm. handed that over. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I need to get on the coffee machine because I'm sick of, you know, baristas not turning up at yep. six o'clock on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started to learn coffee, I was like, okay, this needs work. Yes. There's something here that we're not, you know, it, it can't be this simple. Yep. There has to be a way to make this better. Mm-hmm. And so I, what did I do? I, I think I Googled, uh, good barista in Melbourne or something. <laughs> right. Something that inane. Yeah. And, uh, David Macon's name came up, who's okay. the owner of Axel. Yeah. Right. And, I hit him up just out of the blue and I was like, can you come and teach me some coffee? He came in and did like a training session. I was like, this is totally, there's a whole world here. And I started to get into it. Um, And so I guess what happened next, I started working with um, another coffee company called Rosso Mm -hmm. uh, from Ramez, who, you know, became one of my Mm -hmm. closest friends. And Mm -hmm. he was great because he really mentored me a lot in business. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that was when I went, okay, Specialty coffee, that's yep. a thing. And that's when I met Nolan. Right. Um, and I bought a Seneso. And I remember um, on that first year, so so funnily enough, I opened that shop. The first day of trade was on my birthday. and Was that planned deliberately? No, no, just as it turned out. We, right. Settlement was delayed and delayed and delayed and it just happened to be on my birthday. So uh-huh. I always said to my accountant, you know, in exactly a year on mm-hmm. my birthday, if I've I can hit all these numbers that I'm saying I can, mm-hmm. then as a present, I'm going to buy myself a Ducati. Right. right that's going to be my thing. And he I was like, like that. Yeah, and he was like, cool, no worries. And sure enough, when that when that time came around, I was like, hey, uh, I'm not going to get the Ducati. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I'm going to buy a coffee machine for $30,000. Okay. And he was like, all right, you need to take a day off. You need to chill out. <laughs> what the hell? Coffee machines cost 6000 Not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, that was how I met Nolan, which was um, – he was kind of the only other guy in Australia that actually had one and knew how to, you know, take them apart and service wow. them. And I asked, I asked the company that sold it to him, I was like, how do I service this thing? They said, well, mm. you can't. There's no one out here who does it, but go talk to this guy in Hawthorne. Right. You know, maybe he'll help you out if you ever need it. And, yeah, that was where I met Knowles, and that was a game changer for me with coffee because he taught me everything I knew. So when was that? What year was that? Oh, man, that would have been 2007. Wow. I reckon. Okay. 2006 maybe? Yeah, it was right. it was it was a long time ago, probably two thousand and seven, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so that shop became like a you know a specialty coffee, you know business. Yeah. yeah, we would yeah. we were trying to take it there as best as we could. Um, and then the next year after that, I opened another shop, 
uh-huh. um, which was in South Yarra, which was called Crew. Yep. And that was where it was this time around I could sort of build it from scratch. And again, okay. I still had no fucking clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at that time, specialty coffee wasn't a thing. Yeah. You know? So you were already just so differentiated, you know, just by doing it that it was not difficult to trap the volume, if that kind of makes sense. Can yeah. I ask how you were educating people back then if specialty coffee wasn't a thing? Was it just like, yeah. was it smashing your head up against brick wall or do you guys just use that as an opportunity to say, okay, well, there's a heap of the market that does not understand mm. this wave of coffee that's coming yep. through. Like it's our opportunity to actually educate the public. It was it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty hard. I mean, the temptation was to feel like you're smacking your head against the brick wall, mm. but we tried our best to not embrace that way of thinking because yep. it was like, hey, well, that's not going to help anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, we really need to be – you need to have some humility about how we do this yeah. and not try and get on the soapbox and force it down people's throats. Like, we're just we're just making coffee, right? Yes. Like, that's – at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. If they're not interested, they're not interested. But if mm-hmm. they are, mm-hmm. game on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we – I think, man, it's a – I don't even want to say because it was so cringy, but I think <laughs> I mean, we did really stupid shit. Like, we – in one of my shops, I had um, – video cameras mm-hmm. above the pass. Right. <laughs> so this is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so potted for this. So <laughs> video camera above the pass and it was broadcasting to a TV that was up on the uh, on the outside of the shop where people would wait for their coffee. Okay. So they could see latte art being poured. Wow. And the other one was on top of the grinder so they could see their coffee being – so back then we'd use dosing tools. No way. Shit like that. Yeah. Wow. And, and people could see what how their coffee was being made and that would – sort of elicit a conversation kind of thing. And, yeah, that was <laughs> was like, that's kind of the stuff we were doing. And That's amazing. Thankfully now we don't have to do any of that because <laughs> people just know what it is. But yeah. Do you miss that though? Um, Making coffee? No, it's in, it's in like that kind of, that customer coming through who's never experienced certain things. And uh, I know we'll, we'll talk about like how you're educating the public mm. soon on to this podcast, but like, you know, the, the, that innocence almost of that time, like, do you, do you miss parts of that? Nah, because I think we've, it's just evolved, you yeah. know, and now we're doing it in such a better, more intricate, holistic way, mm. you know. So in a way, yeah, we've. I don't think we've lost it. Yeah. 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 You just developed it in different forms. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And, and those people are still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're always going to be there, mm-hmm. you know. it's At the end of the day, it is, it's coffee, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not, something that um, is going to be super ubiquitous. You know, there's always going to be that opportunity to to, to teach and explain yep. and guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So, you, so you've got crew, you've got that yep. open. Yep. So, so what happens next? So the next thing that happened is I had a bit of a midlife crisis uh-huh. at the ripe age of, well, it probably would have been 24 or 25, <laughs> maybe 26. Yes. <laughs> and same thing, like I said, I, I was just working around the clock in these mm-hmm. businesses, man. Like I would not take a day off. I yep. just it just became this thing that I just continuously, it, it became my identity, yeah. you know, not yeah. to get a bit philosophical on you, but it really did. And yeah, I understand. Yeah, and I just, I couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. You know? And I lost, I, I, you know, if my family wanted to see me, they had to come to the shop. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, um, I wasn't there for any of my mates anymore and I'd mm. just, I'd given up so much. And eventually, thankfully, I'd had some good mentors at the time and they would always say, like, man, you're working too hard, you've got to, yeah. You know, that's kind of rookie. You've mm-hmm. got to actually learn how to let the business run without you being in it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they kind of – I guess one of them convinced me one day to start taking days off. Right. And when I did, it was scary. 
You know, like because you didn't know what to do, did you? Didn't know what to do. I w- woke up that morning and I was just like, "Fuck, uh, what should I do?" Like all my friends mm. that I would have rung were all at work because it was midweek, right? Yes. And I'm just like, "Well, <laughs> I mean, I can't go to the shop." <laughs> and I, I went to ring my coffee roaster. I was like, "Maybe I'll go have a coffee with him." I'm like, "No, no, that's work." <laughs> and man, I remember, I remember, like it, I was in this apartment. So I had an apartment in Windsor, and I remember going into the lounge room and just thinking, "What should I do right now?" It's like mm. nine thirty in the morning and. You know, there was a guitar there. I'm like, well, I don't really play the guitar anymore. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I, I jumped on my motorbike. I went for a ride. Right. You know, I came back after like half an hour because I wasn't even feeling that. Yeah. And wow. I, you know, when I sat down and I was like, I, I think I want to have a beer. <laughs> and and I thought better of it. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because that beer would have turned into 15 pretty mm-hmm. quick. At, yeah, not, you don't want to be doing that at 11 o'clock in the morning. No. No. And you're having an existentialist crisis. And <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I kind of sat down and just pondered it and I thought about it and I said, and I realised, I was like, man, you know what? I've just, I've lo- I've, again, it sounds really cliche and a bit lame, but I mm. kind of felt like I'd just, I'd lost myself, you know? Yeah. And I said, look, I need to figure it out. I need to get in touch with who I am and mm-hmm. I can't do that with the business. I've gone to extreme mm-hmm. and I need an equally extreme response to balance it. Sure. And so I literally said, all right, I'm going to sell the shops and, and, go and figure out who I am again. And wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a very uh, random decision and I followed it through. So I literally went and sold that shop in the South Melbourne market to my coffee roaster. Right. That day. Like I literally... That day. <laughs> yeah. I said to him, um, hey man, you know, if I was going to sell that shop, what would you pay for it? And he was just like, well, I wouldn't because I know you'd never be stupid enough to sell it. <laughs> I was like, just say hypothetically, and he spat out a number, and I knocked a hundred grand off it, and said, "How about that?" <laughs> he said, oh, "How about I write your check right now?" I said, "Yep, done." And and that was literally as quick as it was. Wow! Uh, and then it took a couple of weeks longer to sell the other one, which is still pretty good in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely, selling businesses isn't that easy. No. Uh, and then yeah, it, it was done, and I um, literally the next day flew out to Mexico with one of my best mates. Right. It was um, a, like a chef who was going to do like a food research trip. So I just tagged along. Uh, and over there we had some really deep conversations. You know, he was he was older than me and mm-hmm. like an older brother, you know, mm-hmm. and he was giving me heaps of advice about, man, you spent so long thinking with your head and you need to learn how to think with your heart, you yeah. know. And I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, that's deep. And yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. And so I said, all right, um, let's go home. I'm going to pack up all my shit. And, and I was kind of cashed up because I just sold the businesses. I said, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to get out of Australia. Yeah. And, man, I'm just going to try and um, figure out what's meaningful to me, you know. Okay. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to come home mm-hmm. until, I, I, until I know it. And, and I think I framed it with a simple question. I just said, you know, if, if I didn't have to work for money, what would I do with my time? You know, and, and not in the sense of like, oh, well, if I've got $10 billion, right? Like everyone always goes there. It's just more about just say – Every Monday morning, I would mm-hmm. wake up and there'd be two grand in my bank account. That'd, said, be, that'd be good. Right. So, yeah. So, what, mm-hmm. would, what would I do with my time if that mm-hmm. was the case, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, thankfully, you know, 10 plus years later, I can pretty much say that if that was, if I was in that situation, I'd pretty much do exactly what I'm doing yes. now. Yeah. You know, but back then it was, I had no idea. I really mm. had no clue. I was, I mean, I always had these dreams of being a musician but I didn't have the talent (laughs) 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 and so I just had to figure it out so I just went traveling and I went to um I went to Hong Kong I went to Thailand Vietnam I went to India I went back to Vietnam I went to Europe I just I did the works yeah I spent 
I thought it would only take me a month. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, eight months later, I was still just flying to different cities every week trying to just, you know, figure this shit out. How would you decide where you wanted to fly to? Uh, I Just by the feel. I mean, I, like when I was in Hong Kong, I was like, okay, this is not what I thought it was. And mm-hmm. I was like, I need a bit more culture. So I'm out of here and went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, cool, this is pretty amazing. But feel like partying a bit so I went to Thailand mm-hmm. it was pretty it was pretty loose and raw <laughs> and not well thought out but man it was good you know it, it got me what I needed and I um had a lot of time mm-hmm. you know it, it wasn't easy it was a lot of suffering time yeah, you know to, to force myself to think through these things and mm-hmm. it was not a holiday you know at mm. all um and yeah I think eventually I, I came to a really good realization you know about what was meaningful to me mm-hmm. you know and I had thought about it quite a lot and should I share it sure yeah so I mean it's nothing you know groundbreaking or anything like that but yeah I, th- I, th- I guess I just sort of thought to myself that you know what I'd noticed is when I felt the most content and when I felt the most validated is when I was helping you know when I was bringing value to a situation that interesting yeah and I, I don't know where that came from because you know, I hadn't done a lot of that. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I did think about, you know, the, the second day off that I took in the first cafe yep. was Christmas Day, you know, and I spent that um, at the St Kilda Soup Kitchen, you know. Like right, serving people. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I just, that was what I wanted to do and I mm-hmm. did and, and I guess I kind of always felt like bringing value to a situation, helping people is really when I feel at my most content. Mm. So the question became, well, how do I do that? Because I'm, you know... I'm not a I'm not a very smart guy. Like I'm not good at maths and I'm not good at academic stuff. And mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not talented with music or I'm not very good at sport. You know, <laughs> don't have a lot going for. You're me. up against the wall. Yeah, but I um, you know, the one thing that's just always made sense to me is business. Yeah, you know, right. It's just it's just I've I've never been daunted by it. It's never scared me. I've just I've always just seemed to get it. Yes. And so yeah, I kind of thought well. I think that's where I can help people is like helping people with their business ideas. Yeah, you know? right. And that, that's, that's what I want to do. You know, I think that's – if I didn't have to worry about money, mm-hmm. I'd just be sitting down shooting the shit with people, mm-hmm. helping them, you know, bring their ideas to light and, mm-hmm. or to life. And, um, yeah, so when I came back, I was kind of ready. I had no idea what I was going to do with that. <laughs> right. But you're enlightened at least. But yeah, at least I felt I, I had a better sense of meaning and purpose and I kind of knew a bit more about who I was. And mm-hmm. so – um, when I came back, I ended up working with the guys at Padre, right? Um, who were my coffee roasters, yeah. And you know, uh, Marinus is the owner there. He basically just said, "Look, man, I'd, you know, it'd be great if you can come on board and help me out." Mm-hmm. He, he actually just meant it as in, "I just need someone to do some shifts here because, yeah, <laughs> you know, can you do that?" And I did. And then he ended up saying, "Hey, look, why don't you help me out? You know, with managing the stores and yep. all the guys that have just bought in. They're a bit green, but they're right. awesome guys, and it'd be good to." you know, help them with their journey. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly what, you wanted, what to do. I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that was a really awesome uh, uh, opportunity to do that. Um, and then I think that's just kind of what's driven a lot of my decision-making ever since then. Right. You know, it's taken me down some really interesting pathways, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with Prouds, you know, there was – originally I'd always wanted to come and help Nolan because of just how much he'd done for me. Mm. You know, how much he'd done for me when it comes to coffee yes. and what he taught me and how much it had benefited my business. And I really have him to thank, you know. Yeah. And I thought, well, if there's an opportunity for me to help him now with what he wants to do, I'm all in and maybe I can 
repay some of that debt. And uh, funnily enough, though, when you, you hang out with a guy like Nolan long enough, he just keeps teaching you shit. <laughs> so the, the the debt is yet to be paid. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just ongoing debt yeah, that you need to pay. He's like a credit card. So how did how did it come to be that you came back into connection with Nolan and then yeah. started at Prouds? So Noel's just rang me out of the blue one day and was just like, "Hey, you know, I I want to get into wholesale. I want to I want to do this thing." And I was mm-hmm. sort of, you know, we'd ke- always kept in touch. Yes, it's like I've seen, you know, what you guys have been doing at Padre. Would, I'm kind of wanting to do something similar. Yeah, can you come and have a have a look? And you know, when I went and did that, like a, like I sort of mentioned to you offline i was mm. like you know it was just such a compelling vision yeah you know and it was just like yeah like of course i want to help and at that time i had a few other things going on so it was just sure. more about look you know how can i be involved yeah you know, so yeah i said look whatever time i've got i'll you know i'll just do it and mm-hmm. you know you can just pay me however sure and that so i was kind of like half and I, I was around that time i was um opening a restaurant with another friend and i wasn't supposed to be super involved in it okay but originally was just going to be doing a lot of the sort of back-end stuff and the hr stuff and right some of those things but, but did you have money in it as well yeah yeah, yeah right. totally totally yeah right so you know how that goes right yes like, you know, not well yeah and you, you're basically <laughs> going to end up working there every yes. day yeah. <laughs> which is what happened yeah i'll just do the back of house stuff and yeah, yeah. yeah then you're there 80 hours a week yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah and so and that was a that was a really interesting one because i'd at that stage of my life i had no intentions of running a restaurant yeah, I was not the guy to do that. You mm-hmm. know, even as a waiter, I, I loved it. I wasn't the, the best at it. You know, mm-hmm. and suddenly, um, you know, me and and Jace. So Jace was um, one of the founders of Mama Cita. Wow! And this was his next restaurant. Right. So, and so there was pressure, you know. And of I'm course. like, man, I haven't worked in a restaurant in like eight years, mm-hmm. and now I've got to run this joint. <laughs> yes. But th- thankfully, I think my my business experience got me through that, and. Mm-hmm leaning on the people I knew and just being, you know, when, you, when you're in a business every day with your best mate, yeah, you know, all the shit becomes a lot more manageable mm-hmm. and it was really tough, man. We made a lot of mistakes there, but ultimately it was great. I mean, we had so much success there too, you mm-hmm. know, we've got heaps of awards and in 2014 we got best restaurant in the yeah. cheap beats, got all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'll, I'll, I'll always think of that as just such a fond time. Yeah. But I think I was always involved with Prouts, so and no matter even when I was doing those eighty-hour weeks, me and Knowles would still catch up right. know, all the time. And they wouldn't—they weren't eighty; they were more like a hundred, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Knowles and I would still catch up, so I still was a, across what was happening in the business. Wow. And basically, it got to a point where um, he was sort of saying, "Man, I really need to kind of get going here. There's a yep. bunch of stuff on the table." Okay. Um, me and my my wife Ali had just. You know, we'd gotten married in that first year of the restaurant. Right. <laughs> and that then, was smart. Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. totally. And <laughs> well, it was funny because, it, it, you know, it, it's, I'm referencing my birthday again, but we, we opened that restaurant two months before my birthday. Right. And on my birthday that year was my 30th. Right. And I'd had this idea to pop the question during the speeches of my 30th. <laughs> <laughs> did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did it. I, I well, it worked. So. Yeah, it worked, man. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny. It was the. It was literally like the day after that that Jace was like tapping me on the shoulder, be like, "Hey, bro, you're gonna have to come work here." <laughs> <laughs> so it was. It was funny, but it was good. I mean, it was. It was testing, but obviously, if you if we were gonna struggle with that, we would, you know, probably struggle harder with the things that come after marriage, right? So yes, you know, thankfully we. We crushed it and, you know, it was in that time, like I said, it was just, you know, we'd, I think like 
very quickly after we got married, we deci- we decided to start having kids. Yep. And I think that was, again, another sort of philosophical, existential moment. Sorry to keep going there. No, 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 it's good. Yeah, I, I kind of realised when um, my eldest son, Nevi, was probably about two, mm-hmm. I was just like, man, I, I don't want to be working like this all the time, you know? I was just up and out of the house early and coming home mm-hmm. late and, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of just realised that where do I want to be in five years? And I thought, well, in five years he's probably going to be playing footy Yep. and I would love to be able to coach his footy team. Cool. You know, so I'm going to restructure my lifestyle so I can do that. And mm-hmm. it was just really serendipitous. At the time, Knowles was like, hey, I need someone. And I said, all right, well, I'm just going to get out of the businesses and mm. get a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And it just couldn't have been – like, it was the best decision I've ever made because everything just started to fall together. You know, it was hard walking, getting out of the businesses and whatnot, as it always is. Yes. Um, but when I come back to what my – what I felt like was meaningful to me and what was my purpose, which was essentially – helping people, you know, mm. I kind of saw this as a really amazing opportunity to do that. You know, there was managers in here that all needed support. Yes. You know, and they yep. were essentially running their own, even though they were just departments in this organisation, they were mm. essentially their own businesses. Yeah. You know, and then not to mention from a B2B prospect, mm. going out and working, I mean, we are so hands-on yes. with the support that we provide our customers. Mm. It's, it's not just a thing that we say, you know, like, oh, we'll literally go and help business owners with their bookkeeping every yeah. Tuesday night if they want it. <laughs> and, you know, that was uh, – it was just a really awesome opportunity for me to feel fulfilled, which then enabled me to, I think, create more value for the company than I otherwise would have been able to, you know. And, yeah, and so that, that was where the, the journey kind of started, where, you know, pretty quickly after that we had the opportunity to expand mm-hmm. um, and we sort of grew out of the original roastery, yep. which was in Footscray and it was – you know, really small and really pokey, and mm-hmm. it was an awesome place. It was really cool, fun, and you know, had some great parties Good there. Good vibes and, and stuff. Yeah, great vibes. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, like I said, we grew out of it pretty quick. So w- when the opportunity came up to take on this site, which mm-hmm. is just down the road from the cafe, mm-hmm. it was very much ahead of our time. Like we we were sort of like, well, we're not really ready for this level of scale. Yes, it was kind of like, well, but we should probably just do it anyway, mm-hmm. you know, and we could grow into it. And it's all, all the things that a, that a business advisor would tell you not to do. Yes. <laughs> it was <laughs> too like, early. Yeah, yeah, yeah too yeah. early and it's yeah. risky. You yeah. know. But to us, we just saw the vision. It was like, man, we, we see that there's an opportunity here. And, and albeit at the time, it was not as conscious as it is now. You know, when sure. you've been trading for 10 years, it's easier to articulate your ethos. Back then, you're just doing it intuitively. Yeah. But what was meaningful to us was that we were really focusing on how do we share the story of the producer mm. in a way that excites people mm-hmm. in order to make a difference to everyone. Yeah. You know, and that was what was driving us. And we sort of saw, okay, yeah, these are big shoes to fill and absolutely we probably need to achieve like, you know, 60% growth with about a, you know, eight-week runway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but will this site enable us to do those things better? Yes. Yes. So we did it. You know, and luckily we were able to hit those numbers and, and make it work. And, you know, that led us to being able to hire some amazing people, you know, mm-hmm. really talented people that were, you know, a bit smarter than us, to be honest, that could help really mould the company and, and structure it until, you know, the point at which Nolan decided, you know, he wanted to do a cafe in Portland. Yes. And it was another one of those things. Where, I mean, I can still remember vividly the day he told me he wanted to do that. We were, lit, we were sitting right there. In those couches. And yeah, right. 
Yeah, and he, he'd just gotten back from a holiday and it was kind of like the first time he'd been, him and Shari, I should say, you know, yeah. so Shari and Nolan started this whole thing together. Right. You know, Shari's Nolan's wife, right? right. So it was, you know, husband-wife team, mm-hmm. built it out of nothing, mm. you know, just with sheer determination. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really the first time, I think, that the two of them had not been in the business. Right. You know, they'd taken a holiday to America. They took the kids, yep. went to America, came back. And so I'm just like hanging to see Knowles to be like, man, this is what's happened. We've done this and we've done this. And I had a list ready. I had like an agenda <laughs> planned. And, you know, I got, to, I think I got the first two things covered and he was just like, yep, yep. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, opening in Portland. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I got this idea. I want to, I want to, I think we should open something in Portland. And I was just like, uh, yep. Okay. Um, I'd say, uh, uh, we'll put it on the list <laughs> and we'll talk about it later. You know, and he's like, oh, fuck, all right, well, what else you got? And, you know, go through my shit. And then the next day it's like, all right, so let's talk about Portland. I'm like, oh, man, but, you know, we've got to talk about the kitchen because we'd, we just launched a pastry kitchen with a, you know, we were doing like a thousand units a day out of this. Oh, pastry. wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Like it blew up and, you know, Annie Pegs was on and the wholesale business was growing and, you know, the cafe was, all this stuff was happening. We'd just launched the Collingwood Coffee College. Like it was just wow. so much. And I'm just full tunnel vision, you know, can't see the forest. And, and the all he can talk about is Portland. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so funnily enough, he just eventually, you know, kind of came in one day and he said, listen, man, I'm, I'm trying to fucking tell you about this. <laughs> you're not getting it. You, we're just going to have to go, right? You, wow. You're just going to have to come with me and we're just going to have to go. Like, I'll, I'll book the tickets. We, we're going to go, like, in a couple of weeks. And it's just like, oh, okay. And so we did. And sure enough. You know, yeah. as soon as we got there, you I got fell it. In love I, got, as well, yeah, right? I just understood exactly what he was talking about. It's just like, man, there's a certain type of hospitality that right. we could bring to that scene mm-hmm. that no one else was really doing. Not, right, not, okay. not that. Not so it was that, before he started to really pop, right? Well, there was Portland was still a very established scene. So when I say no one was really doing this, it wasn't because they didn't have the capability. Yes, it just wasn't necessarily in the culture. Yeah, right. Know? And 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 not to mention um, physically. There wasn't re- like so. A very um, common thing in America is that you've got coffee shops, mm-hmm. and then you've got restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is like a Melbourne cafe mm. is way closer to a restaurant than a coffee shop over there. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, and so that was that was the first kind of gap, you know. Mm-hmm. So being able to to go there and bring all that together, there was definitely an opportunity there. And you know, we were probably a bit cocky and looking at it from the sense of you know. For us, hospitality is the name of the freaking industry. It's yeah. how you should be, right? Yeah. And even for Nolan, like, when, you know, you'd be working a Saturday morning with him and then suddenly he's gone off his section and you're like, where's Noel's gone? And a customer has said, oh, do you do banana smoothies? And he's gone, nah, but I, I can go get you a banana. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just run up and grab you one. I'll make you one, man. I'll make you a banana smoothie. And then you do it. You know? Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, we don't get to do that shit anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, that, that was hospitality. And, yeah. you know, that was the ethos. It was like, man, if you, if you come, you know, to, round to our house, you know, we're, and we say, hey, do you want a cup of tea? We're going to make you the best tea we've got. Yeah. You know, or if I'm going to offer you a beer, yeah. I'm not going to give you the old BB that's been sitting there. I'll yeah. give you the best one I've got, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's just pure hospitality. And I think over there we didn't see much of that. I'm not saying that it didn't exist. Mm. We just didn't see it. You know, we, we went to a lot of places where it was a bit cold. It's like you go in and it's counter service. And yeah. I remember yeah. one of the first places I went to, I said, hey, man, how's it going? You know, what's, what, what's on offer today? Like, what have you got in filter? And he was just like, uh, it's on the board. Yeah, right. I was like, oh, fuck, okay, well, it just says Colombia. Like, what, what <laughs> Colombian is it? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know. And it's like, 
all right, I'll just not bother then. See you later. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then you go through that and then you've got to bust your own table and, you you know, it was just a different mm. experience. And, you know, not to necessarily shit on that, like that's that was very successful. You know, Portland was a kind of bit of like an epicenter in a culinary sense in a lot yeah. of ways. It was just for us, we just saw an opportunity to bring what we do to yes. an audience that would really appreciate it. You know, and, and that was also coupled with the fact that at the time, Melbourne was a different place. You know, mm. we feel like Melbourne had really become very saturated. Yes. And I feel as though the – I mean, some of the things that we talked about at the time was that the customers were just overstimulated. There was just so much going on. Right. You know, and everyone had experienced all these different things that you just wouldn't get anywhere else in the world. And it's a great point. Yeah, nothing was new anymore. You yes. Know, the, the vibe it, was just another, it was just another cafe with another yeah. tan seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, Broadsheet had done a great job mm. of, like, you know, blowing it all up and, you yeah. know, putting everyone under the spotlight. And it just, everything just became standard. Yes. No matter how hard you push the envelope, that became mm-hmm. the norm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's really hard for people that are committed to hospitality like I said, right, we're trying to share the story of the producer in a way that excites people so it makes a difference to everyone. Mm. The, the, the latter two are pretty hard to accomplish Absolutely, when you're dealing with an overstimulated market. Yes. You know? And I just keep saying overstimulated because I think about, like, you know, if I go home with one of my kids after they've been at a five-year-old party and eaten too much cake. Yes. That's the overstimulation, <laughs> I mean, where they're not even hyper anymore. <laughs> they're just over that hump. Yeah, they're just sitting in the car staring. Yeah, And, you know, that was the vibe I felt, you know. It was just that was what customers just expected everything to be at that point. So I guess there was this huge kind of temptation to kind of go to this market where what you do would be appreciated. You know, and it was like, it was really hard to, you know, so, so we kind of went and did that trip and then, and, and credit to Knowles and Shari, like within six months of that trip, they were there. Yeah. They'd relocated the family. They'd wow. gone, they'd signed a lease before they even had visas. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's just. That's talk confidence. About, yeah. Talk about courage and confidence. Yeah. And so they, they, that was on, they did that and. You know, uh, for, for us back here, we'd sort of tried to build a good structure which would enable them to do that. Yeah, you know? sure. So, I mean, obviously, I was sticking around. We we were able to hire a, a, an amazing CFO mm. who, who, who didn't just come into the business with a black and white um, an accountant kind of way of thinking. Yeah. It was a, a more entrepreneurially minded person who could really come in and help us with this Rubik's Cube and all this unconventional stuff that we want to do. It's like, yeah, we... You know, we, we of course we want to be profitable, but yeah, we also want to buy seven geishas next month. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, and we want to do some different things. Yeah, totally. Normally, the accounting view on that would be like, well, you can't. But mm-hmm. you know, thankfully, you know, with with our CFO, it was like, okay, well, you could if you do this. And sure, you know, so we had that. We had Nolan's brother get involved as like a chair for the board, who was unbelievable because he was just bringing, you know, like he'd done his Harvard MBA and mm. you know, running huge company like huge teams at RAC in Perth and whatnot and yes just that was an amazing structure we sort of that was able to come into play and Nolan and Shari were able to move to a new country yeah and not even have to think about what was happening in Australia Mm -hmm. even though of course they did and I'm sure Mm. it would have been really hard but thankfully the the P&L was giving them the license not to yeah that we were doing really well you know we, we grew and we grew and we grew and really sort of enabled them to just really go there and just show people what we do over here. Mm-hmm. And so it was awesome, man. I mean, it was met to, you know, some really, really great acclaim. I mean, the early doors, it was a bit tough because, 
I mean, we'd sort of communicated similarly to what I've just sort of said. Yes. But it really got misconstrued in the press. And yeah, you know, there right. was a few... In what way? Oh, there's just a couple of dickhead journalists who wanted to sensationalise stuff. And so they, they didn't take any of the good stuff out of what Knowles said in an interview. They just took, Nolan is going to show Portland what's up. And right, so okay. Portland, he's gonna he's gonna bring Melbourne coffee to America. Yeah, that he's kind gonna of thing. teach him how to do it. Kind yeah, of thing. And right. So you're just ruffling feathers, you know. Like people mm. are just gonna be like, "Well, who the fuck are you to tell me what I'm doing?" Yeah, sure. So there was a, there was a bit of you know friction, mm-hmm. you know, when we got there. I think we, we were copping a bit of heat, but um, you know, again, the proof's in the pudding, man. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you are bringing humility and hospitality to what you do, yes it's always going to cut through that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And credit to those guys, that's what they did, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a, it's been an amazing journey over there. The, the cafe went up and running to heaps of acclaim. You know, it's just it was doing psycho numbers, mm-hmm. you know, that we've just never seen in a cafe in Melbourne before. Yeah. And it was really cool. I mean, again, it just it, – all these things enabled us to continue with this vision about trying to drive positive social change and, and help the producers that, you know, enabled the whole thing. So – pretty quickly we were able to follow the same blueprint and move into B2B over there, mm-hmm. um, start roasting for that platform, start to get the word out. And, yeah, it's just – I mean, it's still relatively early stages, you know, in the grand scheme of things. There's a, another um, cafe being opened in Austin, Texas soon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a bigger space for the roastery that we've just moved into in Portland. Right. But it's it's, it's really coming together. And I, I have to say it's it's hard to argue the fact that – everything and all the success has just been driven by clarity of that ethos. Mm. You know, the fact that we've been able to stay true to it, mm-hmm. you know, it's just enabled us to have a lot of luck. Did did you guys find that it sort of both markets brought a, brought, a, brought on the same sort of tribe that would come and drink coffee? Or was it, or was it having to slightly shift the dial of what Proud Mary was in, in the different continents? <sighs> Man, it was... So I guess like... One way I could maybe speak to that is um, in America, or at least in Portland at the time, mm. that, and this is all completely anecdotal, right? Yes. Not we did market research. Or <laughs> but, you know, at the time it seemed like the palate and the appetite there was for very clean coffees. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, so what, what could be easily described as washed process coffees. Yes. Yep. So pretty clean profile, nothing too crazy going on. Mm-hmm. Um and that was not our jam. You know, we, 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 we buy those coffees and to us what determines if a coffee is special is if it's got a story. Yes. You know, and yep. so that speaks to everything, right? Mm-hmm. So we would always embrace those coffees, but the coffees that we, w- we would get really excited about and really mm. passionate about the story were the ones that were a little bit different. Yeah. That were a bit funky. Yes. You know, like the natural process stuff that was mm-hmm. a bit fermenty and a bit different. Yes. And to, to me, being a, a massive booze hound beer drinker <laughs> i always thought about it with beer you know it's like mm. you've got your, your lager and your basic beers and mm-hmm. then that's not my preference though i'm i'm the guy who all my mates would hate when i was buying around because i'd buy the hoppiest shit I yes could find. yeah I'd do the same thing yeah yeah and that's what i want out of a beer just absolutely head off, right yes. and so yeah, yeah so in in the same way that's kind of what gets us excited about coffees and no one over there really went with that you know it, it was a bit um not taboo, but it was a bit. I think natural processed coffee has got a really bad name, right? Because it's harder to do, right? And it's easier to, to mess stuff up. up. Yeah, yeah, you know, one thing goes wrong, and suddenly you're drinking some bad coffee. Yes, you know, and so I think a lot of people their first experience with it, again, similarly with beer, 
their first experience with a craft beer or a, a hoppy beer was something that just wasn't that good. Yeah. And it kind of goes, well, that's it. I'm drinking Carlton Draft for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was just a bit of that. So when we went there, there was a lot of people that would actually come into the cafe. Yes. I'm talking high-profile people in the scene. Okay. And just be like, well, I'm not drinking any of that because it's all natural process. Wow. Yeah. And it would take Nolan to do his thing to try and convert these people into trying stuff and – you know, that particular person didn't bother and probably that was the one that got away, but everyone else would, you know, eventually try it, you know, and get to know it. And so, you know, I guess to answer your question, no, we didn't change anything about what we did. You know, if anything, we just did what we did more to try to cater to the market that was different. Right. Yeah. And, and so, just educated more as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just, again, provide that experience, you know. It was just when there's an opportunity to talk about this coffee mm. and explain why it's... I mean, here's another factor, right? It's, you know, if you're not very technically savvy when it comes to these things, and yes. hey, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it, I'm not. <laughs> right? Compared to the people in this building, yeah, man, I am probably about as rookie as it gets, right? They are incredible, <laughs> incredible palates and all that. And, you know, if, if you're not that well-versed when it comes to tasting coffee and understanding how to explain it and break it down... Yep. What is it going to mean to you when I say this coffee is this amount of points? Yes. And it's this particular profile. Sure. And it's going to taste like these very obscure flavors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might say, oh, that sounds interesting. Give me one. Mm-hmm. But then you're not going to drink it and taste that. Yes. So what are we doing, right? We're creating a gap now mm-hmm. between your expectation and your experience. Yeah, for sure. Now, if I instead tell you about other attributes about that coffee mm-hmm. that you can understand. Yeah. Like, hey, this is produced by a, a guy in Honduras who mm. we've worked directly with, you know, for seven plus years. Yes. And we've been able to do so much cool stuff together mm-hmm. that his children are going to be going to school instead of working on the farm for the first time in this family's history. Yeah, wow. I mean, now when you drink that coffee, you're going to appreciate it for a whole different reason. Yeah. You know, and so for us, it was that that story element that is that's super important. And I'm not saying that's where it ends, right? Mm. That that's just piques your interest. Mm-hmm. That enables you to, from a consumer aspect, it it enables you to kind of meet your expectation with the right experience. Yes. And all that does is starts the conversation. You know, now I've planted the foundation for me to then tell you a little bit about natural process coffees mm. and why they're important and how it was actually that producer moving into natural process coffees that really helped get his name on the map and sure. and become more prosperous and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's a can of worms for sure. But I think it's just important, you know, to understand where you need to open that can of worms to get engagement at the end of the day. I'd really love to talk about your supply chain for a second. Sure. Because I think obviously a lot of part of um, Proud Story is about the supply chain, about the producers, about how much you really herald um, those teams in those different countries. Like... And we've talked about – I try and talk about it a lot on the podcast with, with different people like Julie Hirsch from Elements Tea who's doing fair trade tea and, and that kind of stuff. And right. um, some really cool stuff that's happening. I think I think it's starting to – people are starting to really care about producers even even more and even for guys like yourself who have, who have done that for such a long time. Mm. Like we're starting to now have the conversation and actually really give a shit. Yep, yep. How do you guys actually find the producers that you want to work with and, and how do you bring them forward? So, I mean, it's uh, it's spending a lot of time at Origin. Mm. Th- that's the long and the short of it. You okay. Know, you, you, you're not um, 
the, and, and I'll, I'll just preface this by saying now the landscape is very different to what it was. Yeah, a bit. But when you go back, you know, seven or eight years, you're not dealing with um, producers that are focusing on how do I be the best business person I can be. Mm. You know, they're producers, they're farmers, yep. you know. And like I said, nowadays it's very different. Infrastructure mm-hmm. is, is a lot more advanced. Yes. And, you know, there are definitely some people doing some incredible things on the ground there in a very holistic way that is very strategic and, mm-hmm. you know, very well thought out and all the rest of it. But back then it's not like you can just make those connections from sitting at a desk. Sure. You know, it, it's really easy to build a sick Instagram profile mm-hmm. that shows heaps of pictures of origin mm-hmm. and makes me look like I care about my direct, you know, trade relationships. Yes. And meanwhile I've, you know, I haven't gotten on a plane in four years. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to build you those relationships. You know, mm. you can you can maybe even buy those coffees. You know, th- so someone w- and you know nothing. We're not going to stop anyone from buying coffee from that producer I was talking about, right? If it if it helps them, then we're all about it. Sure. But that person who buys it isn't going to have those stories to tell. Yes. They, they'll have the product, but like I said, if you go back to what I was saying before, just just speaking about the particular tasting profile or the attributes of that product isn't necessarily going to engage the consumer. It will engage some, but on the grand scheme of things, it's probably going to be a, a small percentage. Sure. So, you know, to us, it was at the, at the start of all this, it was about getting out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not easy, you know. I mean, doing a buying trip, which at the, at the beginning of it all, it was all Nolan doing it all on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about weeks away from, from, you know, weeks away from home. You know, you're not with the family. You know, you've, the business still has to run. You know, and it's not like you're um, flying, you know, business class and then staying in a nice hotel. I mean, you're, you you got to do it on the cheap. Yes, right? of course. It's a procurement trip, you know. Yeah. It's not a business trip. It's, yeah. you know, and so you, that, that will probably make sure that you're doing way too many stopovers that you want, right? And yes. so it's probably going to be a 30-plus hour transit just to get, you know, where you need to be. Sure. And then as soon as you get off that plane – it's not like you go chill in a hotel and hang out, right? You're going to be straight on the back of a truck. Yep. You'll drive another eight hours into the mountains and then you're going to be tasting coffee in that moment trying to make sure your palate's fresh enough to make really important decisions that are involving tens of thousands of dollars to get the right coffees to come back. You know, and, and, and while you're doing that, you're trying to build rapport with people. Okay, so it, it's it's not very easy. And there's there's really hilarious... I mean, if you ever get time to sit down and speak to people that have done buying trips, mm. you'll never find two people that have necessarily done it the same way. Mm. You know, there's some people that have just had zero infrastructure, like no introductions. They just turn up in Ethiopia and walk into a bar and try and meet someone who can take them to a coffee farm. Wow. Literally. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not, okay. not us, we didn't do that. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got all the way to the other end of the scale where you can you can sort of get connected with the right organisations that are on the ground trying to do similar things and have similar ethos and they can introduce you to the right people. Yeah. But it's really a balance of all of, all of it. And so for us it was Nolan at the start just going out there and building these great relationships and not just um, – not just building the right relationship and trying to, uh, I guess, say the right things, but back them up, you know. And, I mean, th- one of the great kind of stories that Nolan tells, which I think really sums this up, is a few years after we had started working with the Packers family, um, we were presented with this amazing opportunity, right? So Maria Packers, she basically rang Nolan one day and just said, hey, uh, we found this coffee mm. uh, on our farm mm-hmm. and we don't know what it is. Right, but um, it's tasting pretty amazing, right? Like when we cup it, it tastes like geisha. 
you know, right. I, I know you're kind of into this sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to check it out? And he's like, yeah, for sure. And sure enough, you know, he tastes it. He goes over there and checks out the farm and sees what's going on. And he's just like, yeah, this tastes incredible. Mm. And instantly, without even knowing what it is, he just could taste it and go, man, there's a story here. Yeah. And so I don't know the exact numbers, right? But just as a yardstick, say for instance, she's expecting like you know eight dollars for this coffee. Yes. That would be pretty good. Ten would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Noel sits there and does the math, and he says, "Well, hey, you know what? I can buy all of this." And I reckon I can actually sell it on the bar back in Collingwood, not for five or six bucks a brew. I think there's such a good story here that we can sell it for 20 plus. Wow. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the team to yes. figure that story out and really deliver Yes, in order to not get slayed on online. Yeah. But we can do it. All right. So instead of saying, how's $8 sound or $10 sound, he says, hey, Maria, I want it. How about I pay 30 bucks? Because I am going to back myself in to be able to make that work on my right. end. And by him paying her that amount of money, it's going to encourage her to really appreciate it and want to continue to cultivate it. And I mean, yeah, right. that particular coffee, it, it was, as it turns out, a complete hybrid varietal. It had never existed before. So it, it, was, it wasn't geisha. It was actually, they, the family were able to actually name it themselves. Um, and the farmer, the, the farmer on the land at the time who actually discovered it, they gave him the, the choice. They said, you can name it. And so he named it after his wife. And so it's called Bernardina. Right? <laughs> what a cool name. It's a really cool name, yeah. And, and it is just an exceptional coffee. Like, it is phenomenal. You know, mm. it ta- and, but the thing is, again, it's like if you stack it up against all the other geishas, it's not like leaving them all for dead. It's just got this incredible story behind it. You know? sure. and, and so to go back to building the relationship, right? Yes. Nolan in that moment was able to do that mm. with that one decision. You know, a fairly split second decision, mm-hmm. which, you know, we were fortunately able to back up. Mm-hmm. But that's how you build relationships, right? Absolutely. You make a difference. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the guiding light that enabled us to do this with so many amazing people. What's exceptional coffee to you? Because we're talking about stories here about producers mm-hmm. and and proud mary brands like yours who are doing such exceptional things with producers really caring about it really talking about the story like we are taking you are part of a movement who are really taking coffee to a to another level again Mm -hmm. almost a fourth wave of coffee yeah i mean like what does exceptional coffee meant to you i think to us it's not super technical it's not that it has to be you know a certain number of points or Mm. it has to be you know, particularly rare or anything. I mean, it's kind of going on like a bit of a stuck record, but it really comes back to ethos. Yeah. Does this coffee enable us to share the story in a way that excites people in order to make a difference to everyone involved? Yeah. If a coffee can tick those boxes, fuck yeah, it's exceptional. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and that said though, it's what I, what I think is, um, is really good about that philosophy is that it puts the onus on us. Yeah. Because let's face it, the reality is every coffee is exceptional. Yeah. Because every coffee has a story that will excite people in a way that makes a difference. Yeah. But it's on us to find it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think if you dig deep enough, you can, you always can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I think for us, we spent a lot of time at the start of our journey just doing it. 
mm-hmm. and not really telling anyone about it. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. It was, like, it was that classic whole intuitive thing, you know, you just do, you, you're guided by your values so much that you don't even know that they're there. Yeah. You know, and then suddenly you get to this point where you can actually start to articulate those things. Mm. And even if you think about it as a, as a person, right, mm-hmm. at the age that you're at, mm-hmm. you know, if I was to ask you about what are your personal values, you might not be able to just rattle them off in a compelling way. I mean, you might. Yes. But at the very least, you'd probably have a good idea. Yeah. Be able to, with a bit of time. Yeah. You'd be able to articulate something that was meaningful. Of course. All right. If I asked you the same question when you were nine years old, mm. what? How the hell would you answer that? Yeah. Right. Your values haven't even formed yet, right? Mm-hmm. And businesses are similar, right? Like for a business, it's like in your early years, you're just finding out who you are. Yes. You know, and, and you're just living it. Mm. And that's what we were doing. You mm. know, we were living these stories. We were building these relationships. And suddenly we get to a point where we're, where we're old enough and mature enough and experienced enough to start articulating it. Sure. And believe it or not, that's only just happened. <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing because I think the parallels there are quite remarkable. You know, at the end of the day, who you are as a person, I mean, that's the most important organisation you'll ever run. Yeah. You know, so the, the parallels are there. I think for us, it was, yeah, a, a lot of the time at the start was just actually living what we were trying to do. And it's only now that we're able to um, have, I would say, the structure sure. to go and figure out those stories, go and cultivate those stories and extract them yeah. and then tell them. You know, and again, like I said, it's early doors. We, we you know, we need help with that you mm. know we've, we've been able to work with some really talented people in the states that are really helping us to do that yes you know but again it's like one of the things that's helped us build our most captivating stories has not been branding agencies it hasn't been professional marketers yeah it's been us yes you know, it's it's the stories coming straight from us in our words mm. and that's what is you know the most compelling part you know mm-hmm. it's we're just not using the same infrastructure that the experts would give you to get that story out on a big yeah, scale. Yeah, for sure. But as soon as we think we can connect those two things together, again, we feel like it's going to drive positive social change in a in a, a really amazing way. So anyway, that so so just to answer your question about what's exceptional, that's a pretty broad out there <laughs> so <laughs> going out on a bit of a limb. But um, to to simplify that a little bit, I mean, one of the other things that we're really known for. You know, one of the things that I think we build our sort of brand promises on, as it were, yep. is outside of positive social change, it's also finding the most rare and exotic coffees on the planet yeah. and making them accessible. Mm. You know, there, was, there was a time, again, before we were lucky enough to have chairmans and CFOs and stuff like that in yep. the company, we, we weren't thinking about that stuff, right? It was yeah. it was just a simple matter of, okay, well, that, that geisha over there costs 500 bucks a kilo mm-hmm. and we if we buy it, we're basically going to lose money on it. Yeah. There's no yep. way we can do anything else. But if we don't buy it, no one's going to see it. And then no one's going to grow it. And then it's going to be gone. All right. So for yeah, us, it right. was like, well, you know, we're not even thinking about the P&L necessarily. We're just thinking about how do we actually get that amazing special thing and bring it to people. Yes. Because maybe if we do that enough times, we can build a market. Yeah, maybe we can find people that are prepared to pay fifty dollars for a hundred grams of coffee. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, now we we have. Yeah, you know, like I, yeah. like I was sort of explaining to you before, we can yeah. sell entire lots. It's insane. Yeah, and so you know that enables us to have you know ten, fifteen geishas in our inventory. Yes, because we've built the customer and the market there that actually know how to sell it and tell the story and you know use it in a meaningful way. Yeah. But yeah, but back then we, we you know we didn't have that. So I guess like the, there's an element of the rare and exotic, you know, that's really important. So that that creates an exceptional coffee. Sure. And I'd say the third 
thing that's really important, which is a, a, probably a little bit technical, is, you know, in the way that we roast it. You know, it's, it's roasting coffee is really, really hard. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, it's, it's hard in the way that you would say baking bread is really hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, like super hard. Super hard, right? <laughs> but I mean, I can still go home and just chuck some dough in an oven and I'll yeah. have bread, right? Yes, correct. Okay, but to really <laughs> bake bread, right, that's, <laughs> yes. that's an art. It's form. an art, yeah. Yeah, and so roasting coffee is the same. Yes. Uh, you can just grab some coffee and you can grab coffee from Brazil mm. and just find a, a standard Brazil profile and just roast to that, hit it, get it in the zone and then rinse and repeat. And you will end up with a coffee that tastes like it's from Brazil. Yeah. Okay, but that's not necessarily the full potential of that coffee. Mm. Okay, if instead of just dialing it into that, to that kind of profile and then rinsing and repeating, instead of doing that, instead, if you actually start there and then cup it every single time you roast it, yeah. you'll learn more about how it tastes. Mm. You'll learn more about where those one percenters are. Yeah. And you'll learn more about what is the unique profile of that coffee. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, how do you get there? And it's really hard, right? And, you know, you, you have to throw a lot of coffee in the bin before you figure out how to get there. Yep. Because once you get to a certain point, you know, it, it's almost like the the risk of actually doing something wrong just increases in compounds. Mm-hmm. But if you invest enough time in your resources and if you say, hey, you know what, we could, we could probably run a roastery with just two roasters given the volume that we do. But you know what, if we put four roasters on... Man, they're really going to cup the shit out of that coffee. Yep. They're going to analyze it and learn and, and really drive quality. Then you're going to get perfection. Exactly. We can roast it and unlock that unique flavor. And so, so we've kind of, we call that true flavor, right? We say it's right. the true flavor of the coffee and that's something that's really important to us. Yes. And so again, in a, in a weird way, it's, you know, it, it's less about what the coffee is, right? It's that if we can find that story, mm-hmm. you know, if we, can, if we can get it to its unique kind of potential and we can unlock that true flavor... That's exceptional to us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, a couple of explanations there on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have um, um, just two two more questions before sure. I let you go because I, I think we could honestly sit here and have three podcasts. <laughs> Seriously. So we might we might come back. I think. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, I want to ask you if I can. Like we talked about the you know the age of the business at the moment and that mm. kind of stuff, and I sort of feel as you've talked about. You talked about your career in a lot of detail, which mm. I appreciate because it was it was really insightful to understand it. But obviously, PMs is is something you've been at for a while now, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably your lar- like your longest sort of totally position, yeah, yeah. right? Absolutely. Are you, are you sort of happy that the business is sort of in its adult years rather than we're treating every year in in prouds as like dog years and that mm. it's it's more older because it allows you as a person, Leon, to to actually add more value to the coffee industry and obviously to this brand. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean. I, you know, to be completely honest, I think a lot of my motivation from the start has always been more sentimental than anything. It's always been about my relationship with Nolan. Yeah. You know, and it's just so happens that because we are such good friends, I mean, we're like family, you know. Yes. And yeah. because we have that relationship, we're able to, I think, you know, drive the company in a more, I guess, comprehensive way than you might otherwise when you're just working for someone. Yeah, I understand. And so t- I guess to me, to answer your question, like, yeah, I mean, I'm – so so proud of what we've been able to do here you know if i was to think back you know just selfishly about my career this is the stuff i'd be hanging my hat on you know and Mm. i think the opportunities that this job has given me are just i don't think i could have created them on my own you know so i i think from my own perspective in terms of like how do i see the company and where things are at, you know it's been a, a real journey i mean like like you 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 know pointed out so astutely it's the longest thing i've done 
you know, and to be here from the the bootstrap phase to the maturity point, that's yeah. that's. Div- I mean, oh, man, I, I'm I just work here, and I think about as a senior manager how hard that transition's been. Yeah, you know, you think about how much harder it is for founders. Yes, you know, and and not just particularly us and not. I mean, this is a standard story, right? Like for for so many founders, you get so you have to be consumed by your business mm. to achieve that elite level. Yes. Can't you can't cheat it? You can, there's no. no shortcuts, right? No. It's like if you want to play elite sport, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. You can't just get by on talent. No. You know, business is the same. So if you're a founder who's been able to achieve that, that's the price you've paid. Yeah. You know, and suddenly you have to look at it and go, well, hang on, I can't just do everything anymore. Yes. I can't just wear all the hats. I've got mm. to actually, I've got to almost in a way delay the perfect optimal outcome. Yes. For later, mm. and I've got to accept a slightly more compromised outcome yep. in order for that person who's driving it to learn. Yes, and I can do that knowing that by them learning that lesson, we'll we'll get that that more optimal outcome down the track. But I've got to sacrifice it for now. Sure, and that's a really hard thing to struggle with, right? Yes, and that's just one aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you think about all the other things about you know it, it's you know it, it's one of those things in business you get really good at something and then you kind of not allowed to do it anymore because you've got mm. to hire someone else to do that. You know? Yes. And so there's, again, a, a real identity struggle that mm-hmm. comes with that. So, so I'm, you know, when I think about what that's like, you know, for founders and Nolan included, uh, you know, there's me not being a founder at all, but just being a high-level manager, there's, there's, I've probably had similar experiences here where at the start it was just do what we need to do. Sure. It was just get yeah, in get and just, yeah, just, you know what, we need to – we need to grow like a few hundred kilos. Cool. I'll catch you guys later. I'm just going to go hit the road and I'll yes. go close it. Yep. Yeah. And and we'll grow. And you know. And then when I get back, uh, the coffee machine's broken down and Nolan's fixing it. So I'll give him a hand. You know. Mm. And you know when you run a company like that, you, you give so much to it, and then suddenly it's like, oh no, hang on, I can't just make decisions like that anymore. I've got to go through a management team and I've got to go through a structure there. And I think egotistically, it's easy to kind of. Um, get trapped by that a little bit and kind of go, oh, well, you know, why, why can't I just make that decision? Like, people should just trust me. And, you know, it, it's really easy to do that. And yeah, certainly is. Yeah, and I think, like, thankfully for me, I've just been lucky enough to have the ego beaten out of me many times <laughs> in some of the situations that I've put myself in. Absolutely. You know? Like, when you decide to exit businesses without yes. any strategy at all, you got to take the hit. You know, like yeah. when I when you get your coffee buyer to you know to buy it and then give him a hundred thousand dollars less, <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah, and you know when like I enrolled in a business school, yes, you know, and when I turned up there, I was like, oh man, I ain't shit. <laughs> oh, what the hell? I don't even know how to do algebra. <laughs> 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 These people are like all amazing, you know. Mm. And so I think like again, it just it comes back to that whole humility piece and. Thankfully, I work in an organisation where we have a lot of that in spades. You know, the, the people here are just amazing people. You know, they genuinely care about each other and, you know, the relationships are obviously something that's so important to us. So, uh, anyway, long way around to answer your question, I think, yeah, I, I feel, you know, a, a huge, huge sense of connection with where the business is at right now, you know, and I just feel so grateful for it. I feel so proud for it. There's still a long, long way to go. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess an easy way to say this is that, yeah, it's the longest tenure I've had, but it feels like only yesterday that we got yeah. started. Yeah. You know, the time is just flying. It's the really cool thing Yeah, about which it. I think is symbolic, you know. Yeah. I think it's really interesting for, for us to be in a space that I've never been in before tonight and it's empty. 
Right. And I feel an energy. Yeah, right. And I feel a positive energy. Gotcha. Like it's it's really quite it's quite it's quite interesting how hospitality, good hospitality venues, whether they be offices or whether they be venues, mm. always True. have a feeling. True. Yeah. Yep. It's so true. It's it's funny actually. There was a um in that first cafe I had in the South Melbourne market, one of the best things about that experience was, you know, even though I'm I'm young and I don't know anything, you're taking someone and you're throwing them into this small contained space yeah with 150 business owners yeah that all you're going to do is talk shop all day yeah and it is like man talk about a business degree right i mean you're going to see everything yes you're going to see how the older guys do it the younger guys do it mm-hmm. the different nationalities do it mm-hmm. how the guys that were successful fucked up and then some of them didn't get back the other ones did and you're just learning so much and yeah there was this uh older gentleman who had uh one of the best fruit shops and so he we sort of hit it off you know yeah. and Every morning he'd come in of his, his espresso and I'd just shout him one and, you know, we'd just have a little yarn. And one day he came in when the market was shut and I was in there just working away. Mm-hmm. And he came and told me, he's like, listen, you shouldn't be here today. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I need to, Sam. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. He's like, no, 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 no. Listen, shop, need, rest. <laughs> and it's, it's simple, right? Shop needs to rest. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah, and every time I'd go in there when the shop was closed, I'd feel bad about switching the light on. Yes, like, Man, the shop's trying to rent. And, and what he was always That's talking about point. was that energy. It's like your the energy you bring in every day will seep into the walls mm-hmm. and it'll be there. And it's not something that you can see, mm. but you will always feel it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's probably one of the hardest things to engineer, but it's so impactful. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really impactful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my last question to you, Leon, is what are you looking forward to most? In 2021, both on a professional standard and also um, a personal standard as well. Uh, so that's tough. I think on a, I mean, it's tough in the sense that well, I know we're trying to wrap this up, and I could probably answer this question <laughs> for another 90 minutes. So I'll try to, I'll try to be brief. Just if I keep rambling, just cue the music. No, no, no. I love it. It's <laughs> good. That's uh, good. I think on a professional level. Uh, Again, I think there's, there's two aspects of it. One is like the study that I'm doing. I'm yes. going to be done in a few months. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to actually have be that. Be finished. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and so that's the easy one. And then yeah. just here, you know, just seeing where we're at with our strategy and just seeing what we're doing and, and seeing what the opportunities are to really, again, drive that ethos into a whole new, broader market is mm-hmm. so exciting. And I feel mm-hmm. like it, this is probably what, we're, what we've, we're sort of setting our sights on this year it's probably what we wanted to do last year. Right. Yeah, of course, because COVID. COVID yeah. yeah. And COVID kind of came along and just went pause, you know. And thankfully for us, we were able to manage the business in a way where when we hit 2021 and we started doing our strategy planning again or our strategic yeah. planning again, yes, it was kind of like we, we, we didn't revert straight back to our 2020 goals. We actually just did it all from scratch. Sure. But then we were suddenly like, ah, it's a bit of deja vu here. <laughs> and when we looked at the 2020 stuff, we are like, hey, let's just – this is take two. Yes. You know, and yep. I think it's a um, it's going to be a really formative year for us, you know, given some of the stuff that we're doing and the structures that we've built and, mm. you know, how we're going about it, you know. So I, I'm super excited, you know, to see the managers here and how empowered they are and where they've come, you know. It's like we've had people who came on board with us with no management experience. Yeah. You know, they, you know they, they're literally people that have just worked shifts, you know, and just been really good baristas or really good waiters, but they just don't know how to use Excel, you know, yeah. and they've come on board to, you know, start here on a leadership journey. And now when you see these people, I mean, 
they're some of the best managers I've ever worked with. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm really excited to see them enjoy us hitting those targets and seeing, mm-hmm. you know, and really looking forward to seeing them enjoy the outcome of all this hard work that they've been putting in. Yeah. Um, on a personal level, it's, a, again, it's a big one. Like, we we had our third child through COVID. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And we made a, a decision throughout that time, which was that we need to get a bigger house. Right. So where do we want to do it? We were living in Kew at the time, mm-hmm. which I did not enjoy at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just where we were. Yes. And it's like, oh, well, do we want to stay here or not? And, yeah, sure. You know, I think if, you know, if it was my wife's choice, we'd end up in Byron. <laughs> and it's probably... I feel like everyone's moving to Byron. Yeah, it's true, hilarious. true. But hilarious. she's been talking about that for a long time. So <laughs> I don't think she's bandwagoning it. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, so we, we made a decision to move further out. So we bought a place in Eltham. And cool. I think this year, I'm just, I just can't wait to settle into it. You know, it's a, it's a big deal, you know, mm. kids changing school and big change in lifestyle. I mean, I've just lived in a city pretty much my whole adult life. So yeah, sure. moving out there is going to be interesting. But, yeah, I think it's it's that. And, you know, I'm, I'm an obsessive motorcyclist. So doing a lot of riding is probably the other thing that I'm just pumped for this year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the sandbag answer. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's going to be an awesome time. Mm-hmm. Um, Leon, uh, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast may – Want to find out a bit more about Proud Marys? What's the best way that people can find out about them? Probably Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, we're pretty active on that. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a lot of work there. Uh, sign up, like jump on the website, mm-hmm. check out what we're doing mm-hmm. with, with our e-com. We've done some really great pushes there and yep. just really been able to create this incredible experience mm. online. Yeah, you know, that's definitely, it's really, really cool. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think, I think we've, we've really been focused and, and way ahead of the curve about how do we try to emulate you know, the service that we provide at the counter and at the table, yep. how do we do that with the mm-hmm. web store? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, we've got this really, really talented person who's helping us with that, mm-hmm. um, you know, who w- one of our board members and is, mm-hmm. is now actually, you know, sort of head of e-com globally for us and his vision has just been incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's, yeah, it, it's kind of like a, um, it's, it's something to, to go and see. And when you're on there, subscribe and, you know, you'll get all the newest info and all the rest of it. But that that's a that would be a great place to start because some of the limited release copies that we're doing, you know, are all going to come out there first. Mm-hmm. It'll always find its way to Instagram though as well. So between those two, I'd say that's the, that's the good one. And if you're lucky enough to live in Melbourne or Portland, come in. Yeah. Come and check us out, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there's it, it doesn't matter how busy we are, we're always up for a yarn. You know, and there's someone in the building who will be more than happy to take you on a tour and talk your head off. So, <laughs> yeah, c- come in it's and see us. That's, that's where it all, that's where the magic happens. Leon, to say this has been a pleasure is an understatement. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks so man. much. Thanks for having me, man. It's been awesome.